We continue now in worship, going to God's Word. We want to hear God's Word opened up, explained, applied, that is, expository preaching, going passage by passage through Scripture, and me explaining it to you, and then suggesting application, sometimes illustrating. But the main thing is, we don't want to skip any sections. We don't want to fly past any parts. Uh, We want to take in all of God's Word. So today, we come to the end of our series on Ephesians. We've been in Ephesians since September 2019. 43 sermons on this book. And we've been through so much in that time as a church. We've been through so much as we've grown from God's Word. I hope that you've benefited as much as I have in studying the book. I hope it's had an impact on your life. I hope you've matured in the faith because of it. If you've joined us partly the way through here, I suggest you go back to the website and Start from the beginning. It's always good to take a book and and take the whole view, the whole picture, and see how all the parts fit together. Books were written and inspired by God in a certain way from the first verse until the end. So if you haven't gone back, I encourage you to do that. Well, Ephesians really is about the Christian life. What are we to believe about salvation and the Christian life? And then how are we to live that out? The first three chapters tell us the theology of salvation. What has God done in Christ? And how has He started even from the very beginning, before the world began? How He elected, how He predestined, how He saved. And then by the chapter 3, Paul's talking about how the church comes together, Jew and Gentile. And then in 4, we see that switch where he's talking about how to live out those truths. How do we live out that Christ has made us alive again? That we were dead as sinners. And he's made us alive. Now what? That's four through six. The Christian life. How to walk. How to live. Sanctification. How to grow in Christ's likeness. How to grow in holiness. The last few weeks we looked at the armor of God. That's how he starts his conclusion to the letter. And now we move to the last topic in the letter. The believer's prayer life. The believer's prayer life. So let me just read. If you'd look at 618. Through the end, I'll read that to you. Paul writes, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak but that you also may know about my circumstances, how I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ within corruptible love. Prayer is an essential part of the Christian life. You can't do the Christian life without prayer. You can't live the Christian life without prayer. It is essential. It is something that must be a part of your life as a believer. And it's a great privilege. We should enjoy prayer, even when it's hard, even when we don't know what to say or how to pray. We should enjoy it because it's time with Our Lord. It's time with our God. It's time where we can talk with God. 
It's an intimate, personal access. As we just sang in that song, Before the Throne of God Above. It's a, it's a time where God hears us and our requests. And of course, we have a mediator, Jesus Christ, who's there mediating those prayers. We have the Spirit within us, who's giving us the power to pray those prayers. It's why the great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones said, our ultimate position as Christians is tested by the character of our prayer life. What is your prayer life like? What's the character of your prayer life? The reformer John Calvin called prayer the chief exercise of faith. The chief, the, the most important exercise of faith. We know the word's important. and We often look to the word and study the word and read the word and hear sermons on the word. But do we also pray like we should? Or do we also elevate prayer where it should be? And the means of grace, the spiritual disciplines. Calvin was right. It's the chief exercise of faith. We're blessed by Christ to be able to even pray to our Father in the first place. Prayer is extremely important. Without prayer, you're just trying to do everything in your own power. Without prayer, you're just living with your own man-made strength. You're saying that you trust in Christ, that you trust in the Lord, but you're actually not going to Him and asking for His help. And so we must pray. If you haven't had hard times in life, you will. And I think you'll realize how valuable prayer is to the Christian. It's something that the unbeliever doesn't have. When times get hard, the unbeliever goes to the world, goes to psychology, self-help books, goes to some guru of another religion. But the Christian goes to God. And we have access to God directly through prayer. Well, we're going to look at this passage all the way to the end. I think all of these can be connected to prayer. And so we're going to look at these in three major points. The first of those is pray to stand firm. Paul's been talking about standing firm in the faith, not budging one millimeter. And he says now you have to pray to stand firm. You put on the armor, but you also pray to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. I'll go back to 6.10. This is where he started his final conclusions. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. That's how we're strong in the Lord. We put on the full armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So we went through all the pieces of the armor the last few Sundays. We opened those up. And now Paul's coming back around and saying, and you also have to pray. Prayer is foundational. It helps us to put on all the armor. It helps us to use the armor properly. It helps us to remember that we have armor in the first place. It really empowers the armor. It gives it energy. It gives it strength. No matter which one that we're focused on here as we study the passage, let's say the belt of truth, prayer helps us understand God's truth and His Word. The sword of the Spirit. Prayer helps us use the sword of the Spirit rightly to use those verses that we've memorized. Prayer is the means by which believers rely upon the Lord Jesus and ask for His empowerment for ourselves and for others. We're not just thinking about ourselves here in prayer, as the passage is going to show us. It's also praying for others. Prayer is the energy that comes from God through prayer, not necessarily in that moment, but we ask Him for energy, strength. We ask Him for perseverance to live the Christian life, to fight the battle that He's been talking about against the devil. We cannot do it in our own power. We simply cannot. That's a great way to lose the battle. Have you ever realized when you're most prideful, about how you've done with that certain sin. 
I've been doing great with that. It's that day that you're going to fall. It's that day that you're going to be tempted. Rely upon the Lord. We've got to go to Him in prayer. We deploy the armor of God with maximum effectiveness when we pray. And J.C. Ryle said, neglect of prayer is the sure road to a fall. When you're neglecting prayer, you're going to fall. Even as a believer, God will let you fall to show you, to humble you, so that you will call upon Him. So in verse 18, as he starts talking about prayer, he's going to give us six characteristics of prayer. Six ways, means, manners, all this that we should be doing as we pray. First characteristic is comprehensively. We ought to pray comprehensively. Paul just starts off with all prayer and petition. Put on the armor of God, stand firm with all prayer and petition. The first word in the NASB here, prayer, is just a general request of God in Greek. The second one, petition, is an urgent request for a specific need. So in English, we just say prayer. But in the Bible, there are many types of prayers. And so pray in general, he says, and pray specifically in time of need as well. We ought to pray with all kinds of prayer, comprehensively. Too often, we only pray one type of prayer. We only pray our petitions for what we need or what we desire. But the Bible talks about various types of prayers. Blessings. Blessing God is a prayer. Praising God through prayer. Thanking God in prayer. That's a type of prayer. Confession. Petitioning. Interceding for others. We've got to pray for others. I think that's something that we often neglect. Asking questions of God as you speak to Him is prayer. Affirming God's truth. Reading a passage and then affirming it to the Lord in your mind, in your heart, as you speak to Him. Even pledging one's own intents. uh, Intending to do what the Scripture says. And telling the Lord that. Those are all different types of prayers mentioned in the Bible or given examples of in the Bible. If we only pray prayers, focus on ourselves, we're missing out on all those other ways, Paul says, to pray. We must do it comprehensively with all general prayers and specific prayers. Second characteristic, he said frequently, at all times. Pray at all times. A believer has to pray frequently because we're always subject to temptations. We're always being attacked by the devil. We're always subject to our own human frailty and weaknesses. And you've got to do it at all times. We have to be ready. We've got to stay in contact, stay in communication with our commanding general in this battle. We can't cut off communication and expect to do well in the fight. There's a conflict going on, a spiritual battle going on in the Christian life every single day. And so we ought to pray every single day, frequently, at all times. He doesn't mean every second of the day. No one's actually praying every single second of the day and night. This is a a biblical way of saying throughout the day. No matter what time of day it is. Throughout your day, you ought to be praying. The Bible has examples of of faithful men and women praying at various times throughout the day. We see in, in Psalm 55, morning and at noon and in the evening. We see in Psalm 119, seven times a day, the psalmist says he prays. Also midnight in Psalm 119. Also before dawn. We see that. We see Jesus praying before dawn. 
day and night in Psalm 22 and 1 Thessalonians 3. All night, Jesus prayed all night in Luke 6. At frequent intervals, Jesus prayed in Luke 5. For three weeks, Daniel prayed in Daniel 10. And in Acts, the apostles, the disciples prayed for 10 days straight. So no matter what, you should be praying frequently. If you go through a day without prayer, then you're lacking something that day in your Christian walk. You're not doing what you need to do to fight this battle. You've got to continue to pray frequently to have great impact on how we are being used as God's soldiers and how others are being used. The Puritan John Bunyan said, Prayer will make a man cease from sin, or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. So either you're praying to God and that's helping you in this battle against sin or you're not praying and now you're being more enticed to sin. He says, pray often for prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God and a scourge for Satan. Third characteristic Paul says here is in the spirit. With all prayer and petition at all times in the spirit. Scripture teaches us that the proper way is to pray to the father through the son in the spirit the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit. It's not speaking here of some unintelligible language. He's not saying pray in some tongues that no one even knows what you're saying. In the Spirit simply means that because the Holy Spirit is in us and indwelling us, our prayers should line up with the Spirit's will, which is God's will. They should line up with the Spirit's power, His guidance, His conviction to truth. And we've got to be willing to receive the Spirit's help when we don't have adequate words, or we don't even know how to pray. Even a child can pray. They don't have to know all the Bible. They don't have to know all things. Why? Because if they're truly born again, then they will be able to pray in the power of the Spirit. We see this in Romans 8. If you go back to Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Romans eight twenty-six, Paul describes this more, how this works. When you don't know what to pray, the Spirit is there. The Spirit is in you. So Romans 8.26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. We are weak. If you don't understand that, just try to pray. Try to pray for 30 minutes. You try to pray for an hour. How'd that go with the disciples when Jesus was about to be taken and he said, stay up and pray? How weak were they in the flesh? For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He's not interceding. The Spirit's not speaking tongues to the Father. That's not the groaning here. The groaning is such a deep, heartfelt prayer that we can't even get it out. We don't even know what to say, but the Spirit is there. The Spirit is there interceding for us. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So there's no disjunction between the the Spirit and the Father. And the Spirit helps us. The Spirit intercedes for us when we don't even know what to say. Fourth characteristic here in verse 18. There's a lot packed in Ephesians 6, 18. With alertness. And Paul says, and with this in view, be on the alert. Be on the alert. Literally, keep oneself awake is how this word is used in the Greek language. But figuratively here, he's saying, in prayer, make an effort to learn what might be a potential threat. Well, what do I pray for, God? Well, we'll start out, or at any, any point during your prayer, pray for what might be a threat in your life, which means you're looking out 
to see what a true threat is. Be on the alert. You're not a soldier falling asleep when it comes to prayer. Now, literally, sometimes we do fall asleep when it comes to prayer. But he's saying figuratively, don't fall down on guard duty. You're, you're praying throughout your Christian life. Don't get lazy. Don't get lackadaisical. There's no place for that. We've got to be vigilant. We've got to be aware of the threats we face. You need to know what your sins and, and temptations and weaknesses are. What is it you're struggling with? You've got to watch out for those. You've got to be praying that God would help you watch out for those. Be on the alert. Jesus told the disciples, take heed, keep on the alert in Mark 13, 33. For you do not know when the appointed time will come. Keep on the alert because Jesus is coming back. Mark 14, 38, in the garden. Keep watching, he tells them, and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our heart that's been renewed by the Spirit, our own human heart, our human spirit is willing. We want to pray, but the flesh is weak. We get lazy. We don't do it. We find something else to do. or not on alert. or not praying with alertness. Jesus says in Luke 21, 36, but keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Be on the alert. Pray for strength. Pray that Jesus would help you see your sins to pray for. Help you to see the other people's needs that they have that you would pray for. Be on the alert. We get lazy. We get lazy by thinking prayer is not that important. I've already been saved. It's no big deal. You know, I don't have to pray today. It's not like God's going to throw me into hell. Or, or sometimes we say things like, you know what? Other believers, they can pray for themselves. I've got enough on my plate. I'm going through enough in my life. Other times we, we're just not looking out for others' needs. We haven't asked or talked to anybody in the church to see what their needs might be. So we get lazy in that way. And sometimes we just go through a day or more or a week without really engaging God in prayer. Prayer is a defense. It's a defense that, that helps us from fainting and entering into temptation. It's been said that Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. He trembles because he knows you're asking for God's power and strength in that prayer. And he knows God's going to grant it. Fifth characteristic, persistently. With all perseverance, he says. With all perseverance. Don't give up. Firm persistence in an undertaking or circumstance here is what the word means. You just aren't going to stop. doesn't mean you won't take breaks during the day with your prayer. It means that whatever you're asking for from God, you keep asking each time you pray. You're persistent. It means to continue to do something with intense effort, with the possible implication of a difficulty. Even though you're going to have difficulty, you keep on praying. This is going to be hard. I'm not going to want to pray in the next couple of weeks. I've got a lot going on in my life. Help me, Lord, to persevere. With all perseverance, he says. We've got to be concerned with our prayer requests. We can't just give up. God's either going to say yes and giving you your prayer request. He's going to say no and not giving you your prayer request. Or he's going to say, not now. Now, you don't literally hear God saying that, but you see that in God's providence in your life. You remember Luke 18, the unrighteous judge and the widow? You remember how this widow kept coming to this unrighteous judge? Her property had been wrongly taken away from her because she was a widow. 
And this judge didn't care anything about men. He didn't even care about God. He was unrighteous. And yet she kept pestering him. Jesus tells this parable. She keeps pestering this judge. And what does he do? He finally gives in. He finally gives in. He doesn't want to have her keep coming back the rest of his life every single day. And here's how Jesus sums that up. Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. We've got to persistently pray and not give up. A believer that prays is demonstrating their faith in action. What is faith for the believer? One way we demonstrate that is to continue praying to God for the things that line up with His will. If we know they line up with His will, let us keep praying. Sixth characteristic, extensively. We've got to pray extensively, extending to others, not just ourselves. You can't just think about yourself in prayer. We're part of a body of Christ. We're part of a local body of Christ here in the church. Pray for the brethren in this church. Brethren that we send out to other places. Missionaries, church planters. Brethren who go to seminary. We've got to support them. We've got to pray for them. Paul says, pray and petition for all the saints. As a part of the body of Christ, we've got to cover each other in prayer. It's like a soldier fighting in the Roman legions. They would lock their shields together so that you would cover the guy on your left and he would cover the guy on his left from the arrow fire. And the guys behind you would put the shields over your head. That way the arrows couldn't come through the top. This allowed them to move together on the battlefield and not constantly be under arrow fire. In the same way, we've got to cover the flank of our brothers and sisters in Christ got to pray for them sometimes they can't pray sometimes they don't have the strength to pray we've got to pray for them got to cover their flank are you praying for other believers are you praying for people in this church in colossians 4 12 paul says epaphras who is one of your number a bond slave of jesus christ sends his greetings always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. This guy, Epaphras, who was really their pastor there in in Colossae, he's always praying for them. Always. We need to follow that example. But we can't just pray when the crisis hits either. We can't just wait until something really bad happens in somebody's life, and then we're going to go ahead and pray for someone else other than ourselves. And we've got to be praying for them all the time. We've got to be praying for them to grow and mature so that when the crisis does hit, They can stand firm. They can stand in the Lord's power. Regularly praying for one another. Extensively doing that. Now in a church this size, and as we grow, it's going to be hard to pray for every single person every day, every week, even every month. So start with the people you know. Start with the people in your home group. Start with the people you sit around in church. And try to cover as many others in prayer as you can. Certainly pray for your leaders, pray for your elders, pray for your church. And he extends this to himself now in verse 19. And pray on my behalf. Paul's a man like us. He's not a superhero. But Paul's not one of these guys who can do all things and he doesn't need anybody to pray for him. He's in a great spiritual battle. Paul is. He's under arrest. He's about to go on trial. 
and the enemy often attacks those who are in the fiercest part of the battle. Paul's the general, in a sense, he's leading the charge, and he's going to get attacked by Satan in a big way. And if Satan can get a leader to fall, he does a lot of damage to those who follow him, who follow that leader. You can just look to some of the pastors who've fallen over the last few years and how that's shaken up the church as a whole and especially the church that they were in. Paul says, pray on my behalf. Now, what does he say? Pray for what? That utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. His biggest prayer request is that the Ephesians pray for him to tell others about the gospel. Pray for me, Paul says, that I will stand firm and not get attacked from the devil, not resist one bit and proclaim the gospel, the mystery of the gospel that Jew and Gentile are now brought together, the mystery that wasn't in the Old Testament. Paul loved to preach the gospel. How can a stalwart preacher like Paul ask for prayers to preach? Do preachers need your prayers? They do. And if anybody's ever tried to teach the Bible or preach the Bible, you know we need your prayers. We need your prayers. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. He's feeling as if God's going to judge him, and he will for not preaching the gospel. Verse 20, For which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul's under house arrest. This could be figurative. He's just saying, I'm, I'm under arrest. Or he could mean there's literally a chain connected to him and a Roman soldier. So he can't just take off out the door and run down the street. And he's an ambassador. He's a legate. He, he is an ambassador for Christ. And ambassadors in ancient times didn't get put in chains. You want to offend the other king when the ambassador comes? You put his ambassador in chains. That's war. And yet here's Paul an ambassador of the highest king, under arrest. Because those of us who serve Christ will be persecuted. We will be put under arrest at times for the gospel. He gets a little more clearly here explaining what he wants them to pray for, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly. The word boldly means to express oneself freely, speak freely, openly, fearlessly. Paul even had trouble at times Speaking boldly. Because what does our flesh want to do? Give in to weakness. And he knows that. He's just saying, I'm human. Pray for me to speak freely, openly, fearlessly, boldly. He's going in front of the Emperor Nero. The guy that's eventually going to have Paul's head chopped off after 2 Timothy. He's eventually going to crucify Peter upside down, Nero will. He's a crazy man. You think we have strange rulers today? This guy was a wicked tyrant out of his mind. He hated Christians. He would have them sewn up later on after uh, these letters have been written many years later. Nero's going to have them sewn up in animal skins and thrown in the ring and then turn the lions on them. So the lions would eat through the skins to kill the Christians. You think Paul needs some boldness? Yeah, he does. And he says, pray for me so that I will proclaim it boldly and speak as I ought to speak. Meaning as God has told us we must speak. We've got to pray for others' spiritual life, including evangelism. We've got to pray that others will stand boldly for the gospel. We've got to pray for spiritual matters in general. Too many prayer meetings are just an organ recital. You know organ recital? 
Pray for my Aunt Sally's liver. I pray for my mom's kidney. Those are fine. You know, it's fine to pray for physical matters. But that's the least important things on the list. The most important is the spiritual aspect of a person's life. Because physical death is not the thing we should be most concerned about. It's spiritual, eternal death. And so if your prayer list is just organ recitals, aches and pains and things, that's fine. Take that to God. But Paul's in chains here, and he doesn't say anything about how the the chains chafe his little legs, how he's got bruised heels. He's asking, pray for the gospel. Pray for my heart. Pray for my strength. Pray for others in the church. We've got to pray spiritually, evangelistic opportunities. Pray for people to be saved. Pray for people to be saved as they come to the church. Pray for people to be saved as we go out into the world and tell them about Christ. Pray that we would grow as a church, each individual, the leaders of the church, that we would grow in the faith. Pray that we get better at the spiritual battle. Pray for your elders. Pray for missionaries. Pray spiritual prayers. That's fine to include the physical, but pray spiritually as well. All right, now back to the main outline here, point number two. We've got to pray with details and updates. So we've got to pray to stand firm in this battle. But when we pray for others now, pray with details and updates. If we're going to pray for one another effectively or have others pray for us, we should share the details of what we need prayer for. And we should update people when we ask them to pray. Things turn out a certain way. We should update them. This is 21 and 22. Paul mentions the reasons he's sending Tychicus to them. And while these verses here do not directly mention prayer, the information that Tychicus gives them would undoubtedly help them to pray in a more helpful way for Paul and his ministry. So you won't see the word prayer there. I think you understand that what he's going to tell the Ephesian church is going to help them now know about Paul, what prayers have been answered that we've been praying. And he's also going to tell them how Paul is doing so that they can pray for him even more, even more specifically. First of all, who is this guy Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord? Well, he's from the province of Asia. In Acts 20, he goes with Paul to Jerusalem with a collection of money. He was with the apostle during his first imprisonment in Rome, where this epistle was written. In fact, he carries the letter to the Ephesians. He delivers it to them. And the letter to the Colossians, and the personal letter to Philemon. Paul sent Tychicus on many missions. He's mentioned in both 2 Timothy and Titus. In Colossians 4, 7, he says, As to my affairs, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord will bring you information, speaking of this man. And Paul says, He's coming for this purpose. Verse 21, that you also may know about my circumstances, how I'm doing, so that you would know something about me. He wants them to know about his situation. He wants all his assistants who are serving with him to be known to them so they can pray. He says, make everything. He will make everything known to you. The wording here in Greek has to do with the events of Paul's life. Everything that I've been through since we last spoke, And the word also has to do with how Paul dealt with it, how it impacted him emotionally and spiritually as well. 
Do you see what Paul's saying here? I want to tell you as much as I can so you can pray for me. That's the idea. And so you can hear how I'm doing. Have your prayers been answered? Paul's not trying to isolate himself. He's not saying, I'm just in despair. I'm just going to sit back and sort of chew on all my woes and depression and despair. He's saying, here's how I'm doing. Let me tell you. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. I'm going to tell you so you can pray for me. Even though he's homebound, he wants to stay in contact with the church. He wants to stay in communication with them. And he says that he may comfort your hearts. To know about how Paul's doing will bring comfort to them. Don't you want to know when you're praying for somebody if if the prayer was answered? Wouldn't you rejoice at that? Wouldn't you be happy? Paul's saying he's going to give comfort to your heart. It comforts us when we pray for somebody and we find out how they're doing later. Especially if it's good. It comforts us. They want to know how he's doing. This teaches us we need to be as specific as we can when we give prayer requests so others can better pray for us. Sometimes we're bad at this. Often as Christians, we're horrible at this. We just tell people, just pray for me. Pray now. Just pray. And Paul gives details here. Now, we don't know the details because Tychicus is going to give it to him, but there are details there to give. And if you trust the person when you ask them to pray for you, if you trust them enough to pray for you, you should share some information to pray about. You don't have to go in all the details of your life and what led up to this point, but give them some things to actually pray about. I think social media has really changed our view of prayer because we'll just say on social media, pray for me, And we don't want all the hundreds of people who aren't really our friends to know all the details of our life and our struggles and what we're going through. But then we bring that into the church. And we don't want people to know about what we're going through. They might judge me if they knew the sins I was struggling with, the temptations, if they knew all the things that have been happening in my life, how it's hard for me just to get up in the morning, hard for me to go to church. We're worried they might judge us. Just tell them. In general categories, just encourage someone to pray for you in this area of your life. But the more specific you can be, the better that person can pray for you. You don't have to tell everyone everything in the church, but those who are close to you, those who you're asking for prayer from, tell them. Don't think that you can't talk to people about your struggles here. Don't think that everybody's perfect. You know, sometimes people think, I can't, I just can't go to church today. I, I, I feel like everybody's perfect there. They don't struggle with the same struggles we do. All of us are tempted in many ways. In various trials, various weaknesses. We're all made in different ways, yes, but we're all human. Only Christ was perfect. So that's all the more reason we need to trust a few people to really pray for us in detail. As much as we can give them. And give updates. You see, he's updating them on how he's doing. Give updates. What happened to this person? They asked for prayer and did that work out? That was a serious thing going on. How did that go? Give praise reports, they used to be called. You know, give a praise report. At home group, I I try to encourage people to update us on prayers. Give a praise report. It doesn't need to be long. You don't have to give a dissertation on what happened since the last time we prayed. Just give a quick update can bring comfort to the hearts of those praying for you. Last main point of this text, the way he closes out the letter is with a prayer of his own. And we should do the same. We should pray to bless other believers. Pray to bless other believers. He gives us 
an example here and is benediction. Benediction is a Latin word. That means good saying. And we use it in the church. We use it in Christianity as a type of prayer where we ask God to bless someone else. So you often see this in the church, maybe a closing prayer it's called. Often, sometimes prayers are read from the Bible as a benediction. Often at the end of a wedding or a funeral, that's a Christian wedding or funeral. And Paul's giving a benediction here to the Ephesians. It's summing up all the major themes that he's been teaching them on. He's bringing it all together here at the end. And we ought to pray these same things for people. He says, peace be to the brethren. Peace be to the brethren. Eight times in the letter he's mentioned peace. A well-being that comes from peace with God. It includes every blessing and all the riches that God has given us. Peace be upon you, he's saying, from, from God. The peace you have with God. And the peace he continues to give you. Go back to chapter 2, verse 14. And we'll see how important this is. You don't think peace is important? It's vital. 2.14, for he himself is our peace. Christ himself is our peace. If you have Christ, you have peace. Who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. And then verse 17, and he came and what did he preach? He preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. Jew and Gentile. Same message, the same gospel. Peace. You can have peace with God. And Paul now says, peace be to the brethren. He has told us to, to put on the boots of the gospel of peace so that we might stand strong against the devil. Knowing that we have peace with God. You need to know you have peace with God if you're a believer. You need to remind yourself of that in struggles. And you need to realize what Christ has done for you. You're unrighteous. You, you were wicked. And Christ made peace for you with God. You couldn't do that. But he did it. And may that peace be to the brethren, Paul says. And love. See, he's just listing out the themes of his letter here. In love. The word love's mentioned 20 times in the letter. That's pretty important if it's mentioned 20 times. I'll just point you to one that we recently looked at, chapter 5, verse 2. And walk in love. Live in a loving way. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. God loved you and you ought to love others. That's the gist of it. Christ died for you. He sacrificially gave himself for you. You ought to give of yourself to others. That includes praying for them, serving them, helping them, encouraging them, admonishing them. All kinds of different categories built into love. But let's love the people in our church. Let's not have division. Let's not have infighting, hating. First John has a lot to say about loving the brethren. He also mentions with faith, love with faith. Ten times faith is mentioned in this letter. Faith is trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it is. Putting your, your whole life in his hands. You have faith in him. It's not that you believe he existed. It's not that you believe the Bible's true. It's that you actually give him your life eternally. Christ has me in his hands. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believing upon him. Believing in his name. Believing in all that he did. And that it applies to you. Trusting him with everything. 
And Paul just stops here and kind of puts it all together from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All these things in the list, he's not done yet, but he's saying all of these come from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father and Son give these things. You can't have peace, love, faith, and grace without the Son and the Father. You can't just believe in a general God out there. I think there's a God out there. There might be a God out there. No, you've got to believe in this God, the one true God, the the God that sent his Son to give these things to us. And then lastly, he mentions grace. Grace, it really, I think, is the main theme of the letter. It's mentioned 12 times, but he's unwrapping what grace means for three chapters, and then he's unwrapping how you live out God's grace in the last three chapters. I'll point you to just one here in chapter 1, verse 6. Ephesians 1, 6, go there. This is how he starts off talking about grace. He's talking about how God chose us in him in verse 4. Verse 5, he predestined us. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. It's ultimately about God's glory. And and that's put on display in his grace toward us and salvation. Which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, in the son, the beloved son. And verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. What is salvation? It's God's grace. What is predestination and election? Well, it's a lot, but we could say it's God's grace to you. It's God's grace. If you're in Him, then He's done these things for you. And so Paul spends the rest of the letter talking about God's grace. What is grace? What is it? It's undeserved, undeserved, unearned favor toward those who deserve justice and wrath. It's not just favor, that's mercy. When somebody's weak and they need help and you give them help, that's mercy. It's more than that. Grace is more than mercy. Grace is, you were supposed to be on death row and die tomorrow, and somebody came and they took your place, let you go free from prison, and gave you their $5 million mansion and all their money and all the best life you could have eternally. That's God's grace. It's an effectual grace. It always has its intended effect on those whom God has called. It's unfailing. It does, God's grace doesn't lose anyone along the way. His sovereign grace always brings the sinner to saving faith. We're all depraved until God changes our hearts. We're all totally depraved until God's grace comes to us. Paul's just wrapping up all these themes, these wonderful themes of Scripture. And here's the last line. Let these things be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. It's not to everybody who lives in Ephesus. There are a lot of pagans in Ephesus that don't believe in Jesus. It's not even to all those who showed up on Sunday to hear this letter read. It's to those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. This word incorruptible means a state of not being subject to decay. You love Christ in such a way that that doesn't decay. That doesn't fade away and disappear. You don't lose your faith in Christ, your love for Christ. In Revelation 2.4, he speaks of how Ephesus had lost their first love. There were some in Ephesus who had lost that. They had lost their first love. But this generation he's writing to, he's saying, I know you're in the love of Christ, and this letter is written to you who continue in the love of Christ, that can't be corrupted. 
Our love must be unceasing for Christ. You don't love him today and then stop loving him tomorrow. You know, tomorrow I'm going to go and sin as much as I want. And then the next day I'll be in church, so it's all fine. That's corruptible. Paul says incorruptible love. It is him, Christ, in whom we trust. He's the one that gives us peace, grace, faith, love. And it's got to be incorruptible. Do we pray like this for others like Paul did as he closed the letter? If you're not, then you should. We try to pray at an elders meeting in general on these things. We want peace to be in the church. We want the church to grow in faith. We thank God for his grace. And we want to see people being gracious to one another. Yeah, God gives us grace, but we can also be gracious to one another. Do you pray for these things in the church as well? That we would love here in the body, that we would have peace and love and faith. God's been gracious towards us. We ought to pray for those things here. Well, this really summarizes, I think, the believer's prayer life, or at least the main points that Paul wants to conclude the letter with. I'll just leave you with a great verse that he writes to the Philippians on prayer. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, there it is again, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God hears us when we pray. If you're a believer in Christ, God hears you, and God is going to give you peace. And he's going to give you his love and his compassion and his mercy and his grace. If you're not in Christ, then there's no promises that God would hear you. There's no promises that this would be yours. It's for the believer. It's for the person in Christ. So you want God to hear your prayers? Trust in Christ. Make your first prayer that goes through the the prayer that says, Change my heart, O God. I am a sinner. I need a Savior. Let's go before him now and pray that very thing. Father, help us today. We have believers here in this room who need to be reminded to come before you. We need to be reminded of the grace you've given us and the peace and that we do have access to you. And I pray for those who are not in Christ today. Those in this room who are hearing this message and they they hear these things and they might want some of these things. And I pray that you would change their heart in such a way that they could come to you. They could ask these things for themselves. But I pray that you would build up this church in prayer. That we would not just be known for theology, that we're not just known for expository preaching, but known as a place of prayer. Known as a church that prays for one another, that prays for the gospel to go out, and prays for Christ to come back. We ask these things in his holy name. Amen.